Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to hoist the sail and shiver some timbers as we explore the strange case of a ghost haunting a ship at sea. A ghost that, if the story is to be believed, is somebody who came to a rather gruesome end and, as a result, was terrorising the crew of a ship that set sail from Pembrokeshire, continued to haunt it as it sailed up north to Chester on the River Dee and all the way back again down south. And this was not just any old ship. This was the HMS Asp. ASP as in the snake, HMS Asp, a vessel that belonged to the British Royal Navy. And what I find particularly fascinating about this case is that the events were written down by the commander of that vessel. So not by some jumpy new recruit or maybe a superstitious passenger, but the commander of the vessel. The boss man himself, a man named Captain Ulrich. And he wrote down the events in a letter that was published some years after the events took place in a local Pembroke newspaper. And that is what I will be quoting from on this episode. Now, to begin at the beginning. And in this case, the beginning is March the 15th, 1867, when the letter is dated. And it begins, formally enough, with my dear sir, and that he is writing this letter in response to a request for more information about these extraordinary tales said to have taken place on the vessel while it was under his watch. And to quote, I herewith readily comply with your request as far as I am able, respecting the unaccountable apparition on board my ship. Call it ghost or what you will. Still, I assure you that which I am going to relate is what really took place. And much as I am and am a skeptic in ghost stories, I must confess myself completely at a loss to account by natural causes for that which did actually occur. So, what an ominous start to the letter. Right from the get-go, he is talking about apparitions which some might call ghosts on board that vessel. And he's saying, look, I'm not superstitious. I don't believe in ghosts and all that rubbish. You know, well, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But yet, I can find no other explanation for what happened on board that ship. And we will look at what those events were very shortly. But before we dive into his recollections, 
He also makes another important point at the start of this letter that I think we should bear in mind, and he admits that many years have gone by since he retired from active service, so this is no longer fresh in his memory, and he does say that he is unable to recollect all the dates with exactness. But, to quote, I will give them as far as I can remember them. And it's refreshing that he is being honest with us. While he can't remember the finer details, the exact times, the exact dates, nevertheless, the key information, by which I am assuming he means the supernatural parts, which frankly are the bits that the newspaper would have been interested in, and I imagine most people listening to this podcast are interested in, those parts are indeed correct, he just can't remember the finer details. And after listening to some of the terrifying details in this episode, I think you'll agree that it would have been quite difficult for him to forget the supernatural elements. I am assuming they remained with him for the rest of his days. Now, to return to the tale, and to quote once more, in the year 1850, the asp was given to me by the Admiralty as a surveying vessel. On taking possession of her, the superintendent of the dockyard where she lay remarked to me, Do you know, sir, your ship is said to be haunted, and I don't know if you will get any of the dockyard men to work on her. I, of course, smiled, and I said, I don't care for ghosts, and dare say, I shall get her all two lights fast enough. Which I think is quite an ominous start to his time in charge of this vessel. He goes to take over and somebody effectively says to him, all right, mate, <laughs> there's your boat. By the way, it's haunted. But nevertheless, he doesn't seem to care. He gets on board whether it's haunted or not. And despite being warned that he might have trouble finding people to work on the vessel, nevertheless, he seems to start off okay. To continue with his account, I engaged the shipwrights to do the necessary repairs to the vessel. But before they had been working in her a week, they came to me in a body and begged me to give the vessel up as she was haunted and could never bring anything but ill luck. Now, I mentioned it was an ominous start when one person said it was haunted, but now it gets even more ominous when everyone on board the vessel gets together and comes to you and says, look, this place is really haunted. But to continue, however, the vessel was at length repaired and arrived in safety in the River Dee, where she was to commence her labours. After my tea in the evening, I generally sat in my cabin and either read to myself or had an officer of mine, who is now master, to read aloud to me. On such occasions, we used frequently to be interrupted by strange noises, often such as would be caused by a drunken man or a person staggering about, which appeared to issue from the after cabin or ladies cabin as it's also known. So the captain is telling us that as soon as they set off for the river D, they are already hearing strange noises on board 
that sound like a drunken person staggering about in one of the other cabins. And he continues that the two cabins were only separated from each other by the companion ladder. The doors faced each other so that from my cabin, I could see into the after cabin. There was no communication between either of them and the other parts of the ship, excepting by the companion ladder, which no one could ascend or descend without being seen from my cabin. So he makes it pretty clear. Nobody, nobody can get in or out of that cabin without him knowing because he's sitting there watching. And to return to his words, the evening shortly after we arrived at the D, the officer I mentioned was reading to me in my cabin when all at once his voice was drowned by a violent and prolonged noise in that cabin. Now, the master who was reading to him assumed it must be the steward, and he called out, Don't make such a noise, steward! And the noise ceased. But when he began to read again, the noise also recommenced. What are you doing, steward? What are you making such a noise for? He cried out. And with that, he picked up the candle and rushed into the next cabin. But he came back much quicker than he went, saying there was nobody there. And I've probably used the word ominous on this episode more than in every other episode combined to date, but it really is getting very ominous, very spooky now. We know everyone thinks this boat is haunted. They've heard these strange noises, these strange bangings. They know there can't possibly be anyone in there. And now that has been corroborated by a man with his own eyes. They heard those noises. He went in to investigate and the room was definitely empty. But the captain was not the kind of man to just let a ghost story scare him out of his nighttime story. And so to return to his account of events, he says that the master recommenced reading. And once more began the mysterious noise. I felt sure there was some drunken person there whom my officer had overlooked and accordingly rose and looked myself and to my very disagreeable surprise found the cabin empty. After this evening, the noises became very frequent, varying in kind and degree. Sometimes it was as though the seats and lockers were being banged about. Sometimes it sounded as though decanters and tumblers were being clashed together. During these disturbances, the vessel was lying more than a mile offshore. So, all very ominous, you could say. But then one night, it seemed like they might have solved the mystery. And to return to the captain's own words, one evening I and the above-named officer went to drink tea at a friend's house at Queen's Ferry near Chester, the vessel at the time being lashed to the lower stage opposite Church's Quay. We returned on board together about 10pm. While descending the companion ladder, I distinctly heard someone rush from the after cabin into the fore cabin. 
I stopped the officer who was behind me on the top of the ladder and whispered to him, Stand still. I think I have caught the ghost. I then descended into my cabin, took my sword, which always hung over my bed, and placed it drawn in his hand. Now allow no one to pass you, he said to his master. If anyone attempts to escape, cut him down. I will stand the consequences. So he, he is not messing around. If even one of his own crew tries to escape, they will be cut down with the sword. And then the commander says, I then returned to the cabin, struck a light and searched everywhere, but nothing could I find to account for the noises I had heard, though I declare solemnly that never did I feel more certain of anything in my life than that I should find a man in there. So there was nothing to be done but to repeat for the hundredth time, well, it is the ghost again. So to recap quickly, they came back from a night out. They heard the noises. He firmly believes he saw someone moving. And yet, when they got the sword and they thought they had them trapped and pegged in with no means of escape, nevertheless, there was nobody there. And he continues, Often, when lying in my bed at night, have I heard noises come to me as though my drawers were being opened and shut. The top of my washing stand raised and banged down again, and a bed which stood on the opposite side of my cabin pulled about. While of an evening, I often heard while sitting in my cabin a noise as though a percussion cap was snapped close to my head. Also, very often, and I say it with godly and reverential fear, I have been sensible of the presence of something invisible about me, and could have put my hand, so to say, on it, or the spot where I felt it was. And all this occurred, strange to say, without my feeling in the least alarmed or caring about it, except so far that I could not understand or account for what I felt and heard. Which is a wonderful description, and he's telling us that for all these strange and all these inexplicable events, he could hear things, he could see things, he felt a presence in the room with him. Nevertheless, he wasn't overly concerned that he was in harm's way in, in, in any way. But to continue, one night when the vessel was at anchor in Martin Rhodes, I was awoke by the quartermaster calling me and begging me to come on deck as the lookout man had rushed to the lower deck saying that a figure of a lady was standing on the paddle box pointing with her finger to heaven. Feeling angry, I told him to send the lookout man on deck again and keep him there till daybreak. But 
In attempting to carry my orders into execution, the man went into violent convulsions, and the result was I had to go myself upon deck and remain there till morning. So I think we've gone beyond ominous now. Things have started kicking off. Things are escalating quickly. There are several witnesses now, and they're not just hearing things. They've started seeing things. They've started seeing this woman. And the captain tells us that this apparition was seen often after this, and always as described with her finger pointing towards heaven. One Sunday afternoon, while lying in the Haverford West River opposite to La Rennie, the crew being all on shore and I being at church, my steward was the only man on board. And whilst descending the companion ladder was spoken to by an unseen voice, he immediately fell down with fright. And I found his appearance so altered that I really scarcely knew him. He begged to be allowed his discharge and to be landed as soon as possible, to which I felt obliged to consent, as he could not be persuaded to remain on board for the night. As a result of this man being discharged, the story of the ship being haunted became known on the shore, and the clergyman of La Rennie called on the captain, called on me one day, and begged me to allow him to question the crew, which he accordingly did. He seemed very much impressed by what he heard. He seemed to view the matter in a serious light, and said that his opinion was that some troubled spirit must be lingering about the vessel. So now we have a professional opinion, I guess you could say, or the the professional opinion of a man of God who confirms that, yes, there is something on this ship. A troubled spirit is lingering on board. And as a result of all of this, it really is only the bravest men who will remain on board. And to continue, during the years that I commanded the ASP, I lost many of my men who ran away on being refused their discharge, and a great many others I felt forced to let go. So great was their fear, one and all telling me the same tale, namely that at night they saw the transparent figure of a lady pointing with her finger up to heaven. For many years, I endeavoured to ridicule the affair, as I was often put to considerable inconvenience by the loss of hands, but to no purpose. I believe that when the officers went out of the vessel after dark, none of the crew would have ventured into the cabin on any account. One night, I was awoke from my sleep by a hand to all sensations being placed on my leg outside the bedclothes. I lay still for a moment to satisfy myself of the truth of what I felt, and then grabbed at it, but caught nothing. I rang my bell for the quartermaster to come with his lantern, but found nothing. 
This occurred to me several times, but on one occasion, as I lay wide awake, a hand was placed on my forehead. If ever a man's hair stood on end, mine did then. I sprang clean out of bed. There was not a sound. Until then, I had never felt the least fear of the ghost, or whatever you like to call it. In fact, I had taken a kind of pleasure in listening to the various noises as I lay in bed, and sometimes, when the noises were very loud, I would suddenly pull my bell for the lookout man, and then listen attentively if I could hear the sound of a footstep or attempt to escape. But there never was any, and I would hear the lookout man walk from his post to my cabin when I would merely ask him some questions as to the wind and the weather. And so we've reached the part of the story where the captain has gone from being not scared. As he says himself, he used to enjoy the, the sounds of the, the haunting, if that is the correct word. But it had reached the point now where he had gone from not scared to just plain scared. After this, invisible hand started touching his head. And so to continue, at length in 1857... The vessel, requiring repairs, was ordered alongside the dockyard wall at Pembroke. The first night, the sentry stationed near the ship saw, as he afterwards declared, a lady mount the paddle box, holding up her hand towards heaven. She then stepped on shore and came along the path towards him, when he brought his musket up to charge, who goes there? But the figure walked through the musket, upon which he dropped it and ran for the guardhouse. So this figure that has long been seen on this box, on this vessel, pointing to heaven, now that they've docked, has actually left it and stepped on shore in Pembroke and has seemingly walked through the gun, through the musket of the sentry, keeping watch. And he wasn't alone in seeing her, because to continue, the next sentry saw all this take place and fired off his gun to alarm the guard. The figure then glided past a third sentry, who was placed near the ruins of Petter Old Church, and who watched her, or it, mount the top of a grave in the old churchyard, point with her finger to heaven, and then stand until she vanished from sight. The sergeant of the guard came with rank and file to learn the tale, and the fright of the sentries all along the dockyard was so great that none would remain at their post unless they were doubled, which they were, as may be seen by the report of guard for that night. So the captain is telling us here that as incredible as all of this sounds, don't just take my word for it. There is some good hard primary evidence out there, a report of the guard for the night, where you will see that all of those sentries were doubled because they were too scared to remain there alone after what they'd seen. And what, what had they seen? They'd seen some phantom lady emerge from a boat, come on shore, 
walk through their guns, and then, having arrived at a grave, disappeared. Well, let's return to the captain to see what he thought, because he says, singularly enough, since that, the ghost has never been heard of again on board the ASP. And I never heard the noises which before had so incessantly annoyed me. The only clue I could ever find to account for my vessel being haunted is as follows. Some years previously to my having her, the ASP had been engaged as a mail packet. That's a, a packet boat designed for delivering mail. So as a mail packet between Port Patrick and Donaghadee. And so before the captain was given the ASP, it was sailing around lovely Ireland and Scotland and not just the waters of Wales and England. And after one of her trips, the passengers having all disembarked, the stewardess on going into the ladies' cabin, which, if you've been paying attention to this episode, you'll know is another name for the cabin that has been causing all the trouble in this tale so far, found a beautiful girl with her throat cut lying in one of the sleeping berths, quite dead. How she came by her death, no one could tell. And, though, of course, strict investigations were commenced, neither who she was or where she came from or anything about her was ever discovered. The circumstances gave rise to much talk, and the vessel was remanded by the authorities, and she was not again used until handed over to me for surveying service. And so this tale is telling us that in former times, the boat was used for much different reasons. But following this terrible death, what sounds like a gruesome murder, the vessel was remanded by the authorities and it just became used for the surveying service. And with that, the captain wraps up his tale by telling us that here ends my tale which I have given in all truth. Much as I know, one gets laughed at for believing in ghost stories. You are welcome to make what you please with this true account of the apparition on board the Asp. And so ends the captain's tale. And so ends another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. But what do you think happened? Do you believe the captain's true account of the events that took place on HMS Asp? Was this really the spirit of a murdered woman? As always, if you'd like to get in touch, share your thoughts, your theories, or just say hello, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram. And if you've enjoyed this episode, I've recorded a few other what you might call nautical episodes, like episode 42, for example, that concerns a ghost ship. But unlike this episode, which is a ship haunted by a ghost, this ghost ship is much more Wagnerian, shall we say. And of course, if you haven't already, please consider hitting the subscribe button and you will never miss any of the future episodes, nautical or otherwise. 
And I am sure we will be back on the haunted high seas of Wales sooner rather than later. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can now treat me to a coffee via my website. And if you want even more Ghosts and Folklore as well as a podcast, I've also written a number of books on similar weird and wonderful subjects which are available from all good bookshops offline and on. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian Amrando. I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. And until next time, if you're planning a trip on a seafaring vessel, it might be best to avoid the after cabin. Until next time. No star. <laughs> <laughs>